0: Welcome to Project Chatter, the podcast where PPM experts from various sectors talk about the latest trends. Listen to Val and Dale as they talk about tried and tested best practices and share their unfiltered thoughts about the industry. Whether you're here to learn how to progress your career, improve your project control skills, or just want to hear an Aussie and South African rant about projects, then you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Project Chatter podcast with your hosts, Dale Fung, And Val Matthews. Innate construction software transforms the way owners, contractors, and engineers manage projects and programs. With Innate, you get an integrated project controls platform that solves challenges in every phase of the capital project lifecycle. These are field-tested solutions that give stakeholders the information they need to minimize risk, improve operational efficiency, and control project costs. Innate, transforming the way the world builds. Learn more at innate.com, that's I-N-E-I-G-H-T dot com. Project Chatter is sponsored by JustDo.com. JustDo.com is a cutting edge next-gen project management portfolio platform which doesn't force you into a project structure or hierarchy. Think of it as the Minecraft of project management systems with integrated task-based chat, Gantt, Kanban and much more. It's the only 21st century real-time platform available today. In this week's
1: pod, we welcomed Rita Arrigo to discuss AI in infrastructure and how it is going to change
0: our cities. As a natural storyteller, excited by the opportunities the tech world brings, Rita can translate complex technical ideas across the IT divide to those less tech-minded. She certainly did that for us, Martin and Val. Uh, and as an enthusiastic advocate and sought-after speaker for many years on all things innovation and digital, we were very, very pleased to have Rita on this episode. Let's go with you first, Martin. What uh, were the many takeaways that you took from this this episode?
2: Yeah, she has some really interesting points about things like engineering diversity and, and which countries are are doing things like AI well and and not so well so yeah that was interesting we, we were joking at the end there about we got to ask the dumb questions mostly because we need to um, so it was um she, she was good at explaining it for the, for the likes of us and i'm sure our listeners will be um able to hear the, the more intelligent answers as well how about you val what did you make of it
1: i got nothing out of this it was a complete waste of time no just joking it was <laughs> yeah. uh it was really interesting and i got <laughs> i love talking about data and digital so for me this was my uh, my sweet spot but uh, she definitely has the same level of passion and curiosity as I do when it comes to applying this into the actual environment and not just um, kind of false promises for the future to come. But it was really, really interesting.
0: Yeah, agreed, agreed. I think we did end up um, sort of getting her into a conundrum because I offered her the, the red or the blue pill and she wasn't sure. So she's undecided yet. Um, <laughs> but who knows? I think we're headed to the matrix regardless. <laughs> Folks, we'll leave it there. As we always say, keep listening, keep liking and keep paying it forward.
1: Hello, project people. Welcome back to a brand new episode of the Project Chatter podcast. It's always good to have you with us. And we have a full house today. Mr. Dale Fung, the infamous Mr. Dale Fong, back from the Project Controls Expo. How are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. Why am I infamous? Don't know. Ask Chirag. I don't know.
0: Uh, Chirag, he's full of beans, that guy.
1: <laughs> Martin, how are you, sir? Yeah, good, thanks. And yourself? Very, very good. Uh, obviously, we're watching some very upsetting news in the World Cup, but we won't talk about it here because it's not for this purpose. But let's introduce our guest, Rita Origo. How are you?
3: I am good. I'm up early and excited to talk project with you guys um, and sense. always to kind of swing it my way. So I'm getting into I'm already <laughs> excited. <laughs> well,
1: we had to get you up pretty early for this, and I'm glad you got a cup of tea. I've got a few cups of coffee. Uh, but, uh, you know, what I would love to know uh, is how your journey started. Cause before we went on the air, we were talking about the eighties um, and internet back then, you know, before internet. And I really want to start with the origin story of Rita. How did you get into technology and, and all this kind of interesting stuff?
3: You know, it's probably very similar to most of you guys. I did engineering, um, but I chose an engineering computing um, degree uh, back in the eighties. And, um, you know, uh, my degree was one of those first degrees that had PCs so um and, and I thought that was what I loved about this, what I loved what I I did at uni was it was about finding the application for technology and engineering challenges. So there was a lot of simulation, there was a lot of um, ability to kind of, you know, look at all that just just in time stuff. Um, And, you know, (laughs) I remember I found myself as a young girl trying to figure out even how to do the dishes in a more productive way. Um, So, so that, you know, there was a lot, lot to learn from that, that, that experience. And after I graduated from engineering computing, I actually went into PC support for a huge construction company. Um, you know, using those amazing plotters that used to exist that we just don't see anymore, um, you know, working on those inventory systems and, you know, developing all the technology that. Um, it was being used by construction back then I tell you one of the biggest technologies that was being used was documents and um, I remember the first project I did was move a whole lot of a whole lot of secretaries from uh, Wordperf into using PCs and Wordperfect and they were actually more technical than most of the guys which I found fascinating because they you know they had to know how to use a PC and their floppy disks and all that kind of stuff and so that really led me into the world of technology so I started to really get involved in um, what was possible and I moved into sales and um, did a lot of work in that space and then the internet happened um, and I was completely fascinated by it. all of a sudden you didn't need you know, catalogs and books and documents, you can actually surf the web. <laughs> and um, and mm. that was such an exciting era, and particularly as well for the evolution of what was happening in business. Um, so I joined a huge telco and um, called Telstra here and um, really got into a lot of the hosting products and, you know, the, all the e-commerce stuff and, and, you know, just a general being able to connect your world to the internet um, and got more fascinated with the user experience. So I ended up working for web developers. Um, and from that, I got into the world of SharePoint, which, you know, I think you guys know really well. And... Um, and and SharePoint then was so ugly and people used to cry when they talk about it and because I came from my you know web design world I could actually bring that layer of user experience to 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 SharePoint um and I started to do a lot of work in that space and through that I was um I was actually recruited into Microsoft. And that became a very different part of my world. At Microsoft, I was a digital advisor. um, And what that meant was that I would work with a lot of the um, Microsoft account team that had traditionally worked with the IT department to kind of expand their vision into this new world of digital transformation. And to think about, you know, what's what's going on with not just how people are working at, at work, but, you know, how is everything else working how does i you know iot was born and ai was born and machine learning was born uh, and computer vision and so there was a lot of work doing around envisioning what was possible and of course when i was at microsoft the most exciting thing happened um you know mixed reality happened so i to kind of really see the new wave of computing in a way that a technology company, in the same way that, you know, I discovered PCs at university, um, you know, this really happened for me in 2015 and it has it's still happening for me. Um, and so, and but what that means is when you look at the world from an immersive 3D spatial world, which is where a lot of our projects live, um, mm. The world looks, doesn't look as flat anymore. And um, there's a lot more that can be achieved. And um, that's really um, got me going in the past few years.
1: Wow. Well, and it How's sounds that like a,
3: that was fantastic.
1: <laughs> I mean, you you wrap that in, in in such a way. You've done that before, obviously. But <laughs> the, the, uh, the, I guess, the cascading and, and the speed in which technology is ramping up. I mean, do you notice this? Happening from your perspective, given that you started kind of when it started in the internet boom and the dot com bubble, and and now we're at a position where we are integrating not just our own um, kind of reality, but the virtuals and the augmented realities of different types of information. Is that is that been a huge leap? And and what do you see from from that perspective?
3: I actually uh, <laughs> I actually don't think it moves fast enough personally, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know i'm i'm still looking at a screen i was looking at a screen back in 1989 you know so um yeah you know, but but I do think the areas that are moving the fastest are probably this whole AI and um, machine learning and the spatial computing. And um, because all of a sudden we have these processing power and, you know, we haven't even scratched the surface with quantum yet. Um, And, you know, some of those things are really happening. So, but then I look at what happens in infrastructure and know there's still people out there with bits of paper on construction sites and um Mm -hmm. you know there's there's still so much non-digital activity and there's still so much disparate behavior with data and it doesn't you know so there's I think there's still I think there's a lot of transformation that still needs to happen um and also a bit of you know and I think one of the things that I've really learned at Microsoft was the, the, the value of the business case. Um, and it's those business cases that we really need to, in, if we wanna advance what we're doing, um, it, that we can really show the benefits of, of being able to you know, reduce accidents and um, increase productivity and you know, really, um, really uh, put a shot in the arm basically for, for, for the infrastructure world.
1: Yeah. No, I agree with you as well. I think the 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 adoption rate in particular, I think Australia's setting, you know, sometimes it isn't moving as fast as we'd like it to because a lot of the technology has been around for some time. Um what do you find the biggest resistance to adopting technology or 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 that kind of advancement in in let's say projects and infrastructure is?
3: Um I think it's the guys in the shorts and the socks.
1: <laughs> so- <laughs> the guys on the ground. <laughs>
3: Yeah? <laughs> no I, 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 <laughs> yeah i really do think there's not enough disruption in engineering like you know when i did um and i and i i don't know if it is um a lack of diversity or um know just the ability to have a different opinion um and have that respected um it's actually still a challenge like and and i know from studying engineering myself there was three percent women and it's still a very um male dominated environment so i do think that that is actually one of the big challenges because you don't have um the ability to question what you're doing all the time like where you would, where you have have a lot more diversity. Um, And I don't know if you've experienced that in your work, Val. I know in your work you work with lots of very diverse um, people, uh, but the Mm -hmm. ideas are so different than when you have a monoculture. And, And I actually think that that is something that's really holding it back.
1: Yeah, there is there is something to that. No, no, I, I think there's something to like. I mean, I think you think of think about it. Engineering engineering is meant to be kind of peak learning in terms of understanding how things work. It's it's a specific skill set, and yet, you know, when it comes to the advancements of technology, it seems to be that it's it's not part of the curriculum, or it's you know, when you get your engineering degree, I guess you get your engineering degree, and that's it. And a lot of people, that's it. That they kind of move into the workforce, and there's no kind of continuous improvement. There's no kind of continuous learning. Yet. We kind of get left behind, then, and then you're you're stuck uh, in in the past. And one of the things I think we are struggling with is pace. You know, how do you build in a learning or development platform for people to build up? I mean, we've gone from computers to computers in our hands to now AI and VR. Um, where where exactly is the learning development piece in that? How do we get people, from your perspective, kind of on board to one have an open mindset, which I think is what you're talking about. You know willing to accept new information in in new ways and and diversity is one of those one of those points but how do you then take it to right we want to we want to level up everybody how do we get to that space how do we get to that plateau? Um,
3: well i know in my technology world whenever i've needed to learn something new and i'm a hands-on learner and i think a lot of engineers really Mm. are as well they're like don't give me a whole lot of text and a book and you know I'm going to go to sleep, it's boring. Um, but, like, I want to, like, touch this stuff and I want to have a go at it and I want to learn at it. So, um, you know, I've always been a big believer in this whole ability to you know just roll your sleeves up and do a hackathon and get involved so the first time I wanted to learn about IoT I went to a five-day hackathon I was just like what even is a five-day hackathon but it was just basically five days of like learning how it all works Uh, Mm. and we I took a set of graduates with me and you know it was mind-blowing because a lot of them you know had just come from uni and hadn't didn't have a lot of those practical skills of like how do I build a website or how do I tell a story or how do I think about, you know, how, how to implement this new technology into a, a, a challenge. Um, and that, that kind of stuff really awakened their, their thinking away from that theoretical place where you kind of are when you're doing engineering. And so I really believe in that kind of ability to go and do a hackathon and learn new things. And it was really interesting, you know, Engineers Australia in Australia had their first hackathon this year. Isn't that amazing? Wow. It's yeah, twenty twenty two, and they had their first hackathon. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not a it's not a culture that exists in that space, but it does in it does in the technology world where everything moves so fast, and you've got to pick it up, and you 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 know you've got to kind of um get into it. So so I find that that is a really great culture disruptor because you kind of you know take take a lot of your time out and you kind of think about a challenge and and you like put your all your energy into it and you're not checking your email on the side and doing all that kind of different stuff which i think you traditionally do
0: that is absolutely amazing sorry Sorry to jump in there i was saying that is absolutely amazing i love your passion and your energy i don't know oh we're losing him is it just me He looks very,
1: very calm. A little bit too calm. We'll leave him where he is.
3: (laughs) But I think he had a good question, Val.
1: (laughs) He probably did. He he generally does when he's uh, connected. But
0: it's something really, really good.
1: Welcome back, Dale. Are you there?
0: I'm back with you.
1: Martin, tell me the truth. What's happening with him? (laughs) I'm not quite sure what's happening. Um, If we talk about
2: um what's happening in the ai space in australia versus mm-hmm. maybe some of the other parts in the world are there countries that are kind of doing it well in in their infrastructure projects are there somewhere it's kind of it's about to really kick off what's um, your experience of um, it's always
3: the nordics <laughs> oh really okay well um yeah, so there's a lot of different areas, okay? So I started working in that whole smart building space where it was all about, you know, how do you make um, the building more energy efficient? You know, that's been a really big driver. So there's been a lot of AI thinking in that space. You know, how do you how do you do predictive maintenance? How do you um, identify, you know, how to reduce the energy usage in, in buildings? Um, but I think it's now evolved into... Um, you know, looking at different ways and the digital twin has had a massive impact in that space, like being able to um, create that ability to... So one of the first projects I did in AI was actually in rail where they were like, hang on a sec, we don't want the trains to just break down, we actually want the ability to be able to predict that. And so by having a digital twin, you were able to, um, you know, be able to under more deeply understand that and be able to predict your maintenance schedules and those kind of stuff. So that's been a really, you know, that's been a, something that's quite mature and a lot of people are starting to do. Um, but I think the other areas, like the use of computer vision, um, the use of digital reality capture to bring in the photo- for, for you know, for um, photography and point clouds and and those kind of stuff. That stuff is kind of evolving. So I'll give you an example. Um and this is a kind of an interesting example Um, it's probably more of a civil engineering one so you know inspection is a really big part of engineering once something is built right and like how do we do it today we go and take photos and we um, um, kind of analyze it and we go back and we do a pdf report right so but imagine if you had Um, the ability to add an IoT device that might have a camera, it might have a sensor, it might have an audio, and that actual um, device you're inspecting or that particular thing you were looking at, you would have real-time data about it. And so you could actually um, not actually have to go and inspect it as often, because you'd have a digital twin view of what was going on Mm -hmm. with that particular uh, object or or device. And then you could actually manage that in a very different way than what we do today with our infrastructure. Um, So I I see a a world of connected infrastructure that can make a really big difference to the way we not only construct, but also uh, manage that, that, that environment. So, there they, so, it, so there's a bit of work like that happening in rail. There's a lot of work happening in Australia and in, in smart buildings. Um, there's also a, a lot of work happening at the moment around, you know, understanding autonomous systems, because that's, that's quite big for us. So, um, you know, being able to have not just autonomous systems on the road, but also in the sea and in the air. Um, so they, these are some of the areas that um, Australia is investing um, quite heavily. Um, what other areas? Um, I think in that um, data management area that you were talking about, Dale. Um, you know, there's there's a lo- you know there's a lot of um, data about um, the way infrastructure is being used, but also the way um, you know connecting that to the way it's being operated. So you know, I remember walking into a rail um, organisation, a very one of our big metro trains, and looking on the walls when I was at Microsoft, and they had a lot of printed out documentation and um, you know they would calculate their timetables using a ruler and so a lot of that digitization Mm -hmm. of of the rail is finally happening.
2: (laughs) I think you, you kind of touched on it already one of my questions was going to be how could government-led projects use AI to help with some of the sustainability. So we've just come out of the COP27. A lot of governments have made some pretty bold promises um, that they've now got to keep. Uh, How could AI help with them meet some of the sustainability goals? You you kind of mentioned maintenance already. Are are there any other ways?
3: Yeah, yeah, there's a lot. Like I was actually looking at, um, and, you know, the UK is really good at that because, it's the decision-making that can make the really big difference. Um, so the area where um, digital twin can and, and AI can really deliver on sustainability goals is around the mobility side of things, you know, like really um, decarbonizing what we're doing on the roads um, as well as the environment, so being able to more deeply understand what you know the energy that you're using and, and and those kind of things uh in our grids so i've been doing a lot of work in our grids um and so really decarbonizing what's going on in that space and 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 you know one of the projects i did was around um a digital twin for a transmission system and traditionally you know a lot of those things are really difficult to do because you need to have weather stations and no one knows how to manage them and you know they're so expensive and blah 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 and like looking at using things like micro climates and, and satellite data and being able to, you know, build these models that can predict the, the weather at any time, you know, adding wind and all that kind of stuff, and then be able to attach that to a physics model. So some really smart stuff happening in the grid. Um, and then there's also um, not just the grid, but all the stuff in facilities and smart cities and how we can really um, start to enable uh, sustainability in our buildings and, and, and our infrastructure. So, so that's, I think they're, they're really big areas and, and it's really exciting to have that as a catalyst because that's gonna really drive our, our need to be able to bring AI into really more deeply understand our energy usage in, across this.
2: A lot going on there, so not still to do. Just just one more. You've mentioned digital twin a a couple of times for the uninitiated or those who didn't listen to Mathilde's episode. What what is a digital twin?
3: So, you know... Such a great question, because it means a lot to different people. So, you know, the geospatial people in us think a digital twin is like the ability to visualise the world in 3D um, and be able to then add senses to that world. So, you know, I've seen an example of the digital twin Victoria, and I know that you guys have the same probably stuff happening in the UK, where you can kind of... Um, you know, use the that that digital twin to be able to find a car park because the sensors have car parks on them, or to be able to identify you know dolphins in the ocean, or to be able to improve the way you do your town planning because you can actually see what's going on with future projects, etc. But for me, the real digital twin is something that um, can. Um, connect the past and predict the future. So it actually is like, so we used to talk about, um, you know, having a system of truth, but this is more of a system of reality. And so as cloud computing, AOT, AI at the edge, um, a lot of these kind of technologies become more commonplace. The ability to have a system of reality in our infrastructure is quite real um, so that you can actually start to know exactly what's going on in your infrastructure at any one time. And not just connecting, um, you know, the objects, but also understanding people within that context. So a lot of work that I've done in smart buildings has been about, you know, if there's no people in this space, do we still need to have, you know, the air conditioning and the lights on? And, and that's actually been a really big part of sustainability, you know, like, because they didn't know how to switch mm. the lights off on and, you know, and and, and um, reduce the power when there was no people around. And, and also, you know, the utilisation of our assets and those kind of things. So bringing people into the fold is pretty exciting. You know, there's this amazing story of a... Um, Uh, a furniture company that wanted to put sensors in the chairs and the tables and everyone was just like that's just ridiculous but now they're they're doing it and they have it's called the company's called Steelcase and they actually have like if you buy their furniture with sensors in it you get um, a a dashboard that shows you which desks are being used more often and which um, which which um, meeting rooms are more successful and and they can actually start to rejig their offices so that, you know, there's the four people's room is is the one that's always being used, but, you know, they have six, eight people rooms. So, you know, they can start to really, you know, use their space better. And it's these kind of um, ability to visualize mm. what's going on that's making decisions that's then going to help us to actually use our infrastructure better.
1: That's interesting because I think with um I heard a story and it was only recently as well around Walt Disney and Disneyland when they first developed it. And they were looking at putting paths in. And they said, well, let's not put paths in until we know where everyone's going to be walking. So they kind of had open grasslands and parklands and people were just making paths as they usually do. The shortest way is, is usually the route that people walk. And then they built paths around that. And it's kind of the analog anecdote to what you're talking about in terms of, you know, counters and realizing what people are doing from a behavioral perspective and then reconfiguring based on what the data says um, to make it yeah. more a, a more pleasant experience and probably more efficient in terms of how we respond to the environment. How we respond to each other. Um, you know, we had someone on just this week around placemaking and, and the aesthetics of, of bike paths and bike culture and bike economics in uh, dense cities, because uh, people want to have an environment in which they can, they can thrive in. And I think digital twin, as you said, is is a way to look at the past, but then apply it to the future in, in ways that, that benefit humanity. And obviously we have a a, a very, a very real mantra around cop 27 and cop 26 and and the ambitions aren't being met. So, We need to come up with new ways how we can utilize technology and that's why i think what you're talking about is really really exciting um is there so this is where i think that the challenge comes back to the previous question around um are we going to leave anyone behind in terms of moving to this new industry i think one of the biggest concerns i've heard at least in the market is is uh well i'm going to be made redundant and you know there's no job for me in the future and we know this we know that the job the job market will change for example I think I was with Dale and Val when we, um, sorry, Martin, when we, we talked about having data scientists on, on projects, right. And this was in the UK and this was a very new thing, like five, six years ago. And now it's a common theme to have data scientists embedded in projects. It makes sense. Uh, it's like a no brainer. The, what are the roles of the future look like reader in terms of where do you see the guys from now transitioning to, and, and how do we help them get there?
3: Mm. I think it's amazing that's because I get asked this question all the time. I get, get asked the questions by journalists. I get asked these questions by designers. I get asked this question by, um, you know, marketers, you know, are our jobs still going to exist? And, you know, mm. what's really interesting is we've been going through this change since the day I took my secretaries from typewriters to PCs, you know, what happened okay so all of a sudden they didn't have blisters on their fingers and they could actually search their documents but they still okay. had jobs <laughs> so i think it's it's this um it's this maturing of the of the tools that we have access to that's going to bring us of this higher capability versus reducing our work so the work is there's still, there's still going to be an incredible amount of work um it's just that we're going to have much better work ways of doing it and, and I think that's the the bit that people um need to get it's not that your job's going to be redundant thank god it will because I don't want to cut and paste from one system to another ever again you know I don't actually ever want to do my expenses ever again like why am I doing expenses like you know a lot of these kind of things that you kind of look at and you think why does this even exist and it was like this kind of um you know scenario that was created because we had no other way of doing it. And so imagine removing some of that really tedious, boring um, work, um, the dull, dangerous, you know, um, work from our lives and being able to have that replaced by AI. I just think that would be amazing. I, I was, I was um, watching a, a, this fantastic BBC show the other day, Click. I love it. It's always got mm. groovy stuff on it and I try and get versions of it here in Australia. Um, and they had um, I had Spot spots you know, Spot the Spot. robot. Uh, walking around Pompeii because um, he was doing inspections, and I thought, isn't that amazing? So, like, it's like two o'clock in the morning. Um, you don't have the whole place fitted out with cameras because it's an archaeological site, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you've got the ability to bring a robot in and to do inspections of what's going on, and that would normally be a person that could be like making pizza or something more exciting than that. Um, so, so I, I think there's a real there's a real kind of um, Ability to 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 kind of have to shift our mindset into that the fact that um, you know some of the menial tasks that we do today we actually don't want to do in the future and how can we how can we take them away and, and make make that um, more more exciting for us and, and and you know really advance what we're doing and I think we need to do that because otherwise how are we going to change. All the amount of energy that we use in our buildings without using some kind of supercomputer to try and help us figure that out and, and also those elements that are really changing the city. I think computer vision is one of them that's that's quite significant and, and I think we've been very scared of adopting it because of all the surveillance and you know challenges around that. Yeah. And, um, and i think it's it's this ability to bring in and this is probably where we need engineers to kind of really awaken this side of things to bring that responsible ai in to bring that ability to say okay you know that surveillance camera it's not going to survive, decide that you you know you're you're good and they're bad it's actually going to help our infrastructure to work better um, and so and it's not a surveillance camera it's actually a camera that's going to um, warn us if someone's going to injure themselves or hurt themselves or if there's too many people there or if this Piece of uh, construction is going to break or whatever. So, so I think it's this computer vision, you know, challenge that we have in that, you know, we've really got to take away that, um, you know, big brother feel of it and make it make it feel mm. like it's it's going to actually help us. Um, and so, so I find that really um, a, a challenge that I would love engineers to embrace. Um, and the other one is, you know, really bringing this modeling world into life. And, you know, as engineers, we're always modelers. Like this, the first thing I did was um, I had this like really strange model happening on my PC of a, of a factory with like little objects moving along, <laughs> moving along a, a production line. And like, you know, we want to model our world and, and And then we want to be able to bring that kind of flexibility and understanding to that. And so if we're able to do a lot more modeling um, and bring those um, options to life, and I think that would be something that um, I actually do see see engineers as the ones that can change the, 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 the environment for better. Is that a long-winded answer to a very simple question? Are we going to lose our jobs?
1: (laughs) No, I don't think it's a simple answer either. But you're right. I mean, we will adapt. I mean, I think there's an underestimation of how well humans can adapt. We just like to complain when we have to change. You know, it's a it's part of our nature.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, maybe you're right. It's like, oh, do I have to install that new operating system? Oh, that Mm. UI's changed. Oh no. Whereas I don't know, I have a more positive attitude. It's like, wow, it's changed
0: excellent <laughs> uh, I love I love the energy and hopefully I'm back with you now Rita and you can hear me I think I'm gonna 100%. change my uh, internet provider but there we are um I was saying earlier I don't know what you've got in your tea but the passion and the energy is amazing at you know your time of the morning so yeah thanks for bringing that to the this episode and you may have covered this a little bit but I wanted to bring it back um and ask are we on the path to self-destruction with AI? Are we going to end, end up in the matrix?
3: <laughs> no, I don't think so. No? I don't think so. Not if they're the right people are involved. I think if if we um you know, I actually I've experienced it a little, you know, in the digital era where you'd go into a CEO's office and they'd go in, the, you'd talk about digital transformation and they go, oh, God, I don't know, I don't know. Let me just get the technical geek guy and he'll talk to you about it. And, you know, and that CEO has now become extinct because if you don't understand what's happening in your organisation digitally, then you're not able to steer that organisation. I think it's the same with AI. Like we have to have a bit mm. of an awakening um, because if we don't know what's going on and if we don't understand and we don't, and we can't spell responsible AI and we don't have a responsible AI ethics association in our in our business and, you know, we're not thinking about that, then there is that possibility. But I, I, but I think as mankind, we're always into you know um doing the right thing and so i think that will be one of those things but we do need to manage that
0: yeah no it's interesting to get your views on the space in in the space because you've obviously been in it for a while so you've got a good view of the trajectory and the art of the possible and what we need to do as you say to manage and control it so that's great as well and just sort of also rewinding a little bit back when i was listening to you around you know sort of tracking everything i was actually chatting to a friend in the environmental agency here in the uk and he was saying well you know if we're building structures i don't have the um i guess the setup today in the systems today but let me put sensors in now and in the future they're connected and they're already there they're in the concrete they're testing out you know any stresses they're testing out anything for cracks or maintenance or you know, if it's underwater, any funny growth or anything like that, and then at least it's future-proof our construction today. I think that's what you're alluding to earlier as well. But I thought that was interesting to bring in.
3: But it is interesting, though. But. People panic when you make statements like that because I think a lot of people have started, a lot of, you know, particularly buildings have done that and they've ended up with a whole lot of data they don't know what to do with. So you do need to understand your scenarios first as well. Um, and that's when it comes back to the business case because if mm. you're just collecting the data for the sake of it, it becomes very expensive and people don't know what to do with these huge amounts of data. So I think knowing your scenarios up early is, is really important um, because otherwise you end up with the sea of data that you don't know what to do with. Um, but, but yeah, and you know, it's really interesting. There's been this real evolution in sensors to the ability to build microclimates and, and be able to use other techniques to predict. So sometimes sensors aren't always the, 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 the answer as well. Sorry, sorry to argue with you so early in
0: the no, morning. <laughs> no, not at all. We encourage discourse and debate in the podcast. Yeah. And it's not my argument to have. I was just telling a story that someone else told me. <laughs> 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 that's, my, that's my cop out. Um, great. Look. If I dumb it down for at least my brain and maybe one or two other listeners that um, sort of are new to this topic, can you give us some definitions around what is AI exactly? Because that is a broad topic. It means lots of things to lots of different people. What is VR? What is AR? What is mixed reality? Because we throw all of these acronyms around and we pretend people do know it. But what is it really?
3: yeah so you know AI was born from this ability to try and replicate the human brain um that was actually the vision of AI when people started working on it and and I see it in like three different categories at the moment so you know the first one is around you know the the ability to to have AI um and be able to replicate the human brain and that's some of those things that you'll see as examples in, and we've done had a lot of advancement in that whole natural language programming you know understanding language and so now we have um bots that manage whole whole customer service environments you know taking 12 million calls a day and and you know not having to be on hold to get your answer and you know, telcos have been really big at adopting that um and and that that kind of ability to not just do ocr on documents but actually understand them and then respond, is being a really big source of AI. Um, The next one is machine learning. And that's when you started to do things like um, be able to look at images and identify them. And so computer vision has been a really big movement in that um, and the ability to then be able to visualize that data as well. And then the final one is deep learning. And that's probably where a lot of the work's happening at the moment. So, you know, we've all heard about what's going on with, um, you know, DALI-E and the ability to um, be able to create networks around images and words, and then be able to not just do collage, but actually create new images. So DALI-E has been super exciting in that generative space, but that's not the only thing that's happening in generative AI, it's like exploding um, from, you know, things like um, the ability to, you know, write text um, and that, that's where the journalists panic, um, through to um, you know being able to um, generate. Um, I was I was looking at. Um, a, a company called Space Maker yesterday, today, because I'm doing some work for an architectural firm, and they can actually generate um, designs. And so this whole idea of generative design is really big, because it means that all of a sudden, instead of, you know, having a whole lot of people having to draw all the designs, and then go, oh, that one's good, that one's good, you actually have a computer generate them, and then you can choose them. And so it would have taken you maybe two hours to draw them all, or you know, 20 hours. Now you've got a computer generating them in two minutes and then you can actually look at your optionality and have that flexibility um, and then do the simulation so that's that whole world of deep learning and combulated networks and GANs and and NERFs I don't know if you've heard of NERFs but I love NERFs at least at least you'll go away it's not a nerf gun okay <laughs> because like if you google nerf it comes up with all the nerf guns but it's not but nerfs are this new idea where you can take a 2d image and turn it into a 3d image um and it's oh, being yeah. used in um it a lot in the infrastructure world and you'll see these things on the internet of like people taking 2d photos and then turning them into 3d um but but um, it's really big in medicine as well. When I like, imagine looking at a slice of the human body and then being able to turn that into a 3D object. Um, and so NERFs, NERFs are pretty amazing, but the GANs as well. So I did a whole lot of work. Um, uh, I was involved in this project about two years ago where you know they were trying to figure out how to have an autonomous vehicle navigate the landscape of Australia. And like, it is huge. And so they're like, how do we do it? So they um, they actually used a simulation environment and they put a whole lot of photography in there and they were able to then use again a generative adversary network that would simulate the environment in different times of the day and with different weathers. So, you know, you could look at the same picture, but you could understand it at midnight or at two o'clock in the morning or three o'clock. And and you could also um, then overlay when, when it's like, cold or you know what the weather's looking like what whether it's autumn or summer and all of a sudden you know an autonomous vehicle has a whole lot more data to be able to, to use to navigate so so that is the deep learning platform and I could talk about deep learning forever <laughs> because there's so many different aspects to it Awesome um,
0: Yeah no I th- thanks for that um, and I got to ask the sort of the, the devil's advocate question here um joe lucas who everyone knows on the pod here she put out a a blog a little while back about the washing machine and how it was an amazing technological advancement for humans but what we lost were you know back then predominantly women around the river with their kids forming a social network and that got lost Mm. so what do we lose with all of this advancement in technology what do we lose
3: Um, I think, I think what you're talking about is, you know, that water cooler moment where we kind of hang out and get to know each other. And, um, I think there's a lot of water cooler moments that we recreate every day in everything that we do. So I I think, yeah, um, and I do think, you know, there's still this, um, there's still this slow movement around where we want to be more crafty and and be able to kind of bring that other other part of our lives that you know art and craft and spirituality into our lives. So I so I think that that still exists and you know and I love in Australia we have a really big movement at the moment to respect the the people in that were here before we were our indigenous cultures, and I think they're bringing a lot of that that kind of ability to kind of reconnect with nature back to us reconnect with our land and and you know bring a lot of the that thinking that you're talking about um, bring back that you know ability to still be human and, and but but i do think that that is not going to be lost because of technology, and I, you know, I, I still think women sit around and talk, even though they're not watching by the river. Um, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I, and I still think we talk to our children, um, if, we, if we can get them off TikTok, um, but, but but you know, I, I, but, but I you know, I think that there is definitely something that we need to strive for to keep that human humanity still going.
0: So so paint us a picture then. We're in the future. We've got everything sort of autonomous, AI, it's all operating. We've got little, you know, little robot and set up building our structures for us, they pre-programmed. They know what to do. What what are humans doing?
3: We're working on the higher things in life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're working on the philosophy we're trying to you know understand there's a lot of things we don't know about like we don't know if there's a higher being um you know and it was really really interesting we're we're discovering new ways to get to know each other i have a, a a a a someone that I really respect in the AI world, Dr. Katrina Wallace. And um, she's done a, she's doing a lot of work in the responsible metaverse and she's written a book about the responsible metaverse and, you know, trying to imagine this world where we're living in this 3d world. And, um, and she, you know, where she gets, she, I, I was reading an article the other day and in the financial review, and it was all about all these amazing people and where they get their um. The inspiration from, where they get mm. their energy from. You know, one lady was like, I go for a walk. Someone else was like, I bake. And she was like, I take psychedelics where it's legal to take psychedelics. And that helps me to think about the world in a different way. And, and I thought, isn't that fascinating? You know, like there's this reawakening of being able to um, go into our minds and think about our, our minds and think about the stuff that we don't know about yet. And, and mm. I think that's actually probably where we're going to go once we don't have to deal with all the physicality of our our world and also start to kind of think or you know rethink the industrial revolution which was all about you know breaking the world and burning it and um you know like burning the coal and creating the power and you know using energy in ways that was just stupid and so like um you know really start to rethink that so I'm seeing a world where we are going to become a lot more wise and, and and a lot more knowledgeable. And and, um, you know, have the ability to really expand our minds.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So is it the red pill or the blue pill for you? <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't know yet. I haven't figured it out. Um, yeah. It's still illegal in Australia. So I <laughs> keep traveling to those places where it's legal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Fantastic. Look, it, it's great to sort of, you know, throw, throw these thoughts out there and, and what the future might look like, but we here in the here and now, and, you know, we've spoken a lot around the challenges Particularly on people, capability, skills, adoption rates, and things like that. How how fast do you see this evolving? Is it five years, ten years, twenty years in terms of um, when technology is driving projects more than humans?
3: Um. I think we've got a bit of a 20 years kind of next step like going on, but I think the world of robotics is moving super fast. Like, you know, you're joking about those little ants, but it's real. Like, know i've got this startup i've been watching called Hullbots, where they want to like clean every every hull of every ship in (laughs) every port and like they have these like little robots that go and clean the hulls i'm like is that amazing like you don't have to like manually do that anymore and you know i I went to this autonomous vessel um forum uh, a couple of weeks ago and i was i was in queensland and they had like this reef and they had all these autonomous vessels in the sea and i was like wow they could clean up the sea and um you know different types and and um you know the 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 vertiports and the different ways we're going to um the different ways we're going to travel you know as we really reinvent the the, the airways um, i don't know I th- and i think it's 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 also about you know people laugh at blockchain and nfts and all that kind of stuff But it's these new economic models that we actually need because um, that's actually going to drive those business cases and make it a lot easier to to kind of create that investment and not have those 20-year cycles for investment, but have them happen a little faster. Uh, um, And I love the idea that um, cryptocurrency has gone into a bit of a um, winter because you know, OS was really saddened by the fact that you know, there's this amazing new technology, blockchain, and it was using to, it was being used to make this, you know, really kind of tacky currency, and it, it wasn't being used to do other cool stuff. And so, I think I think it's exciting to kind of see the blimp, see the mistakes, and um, see see those um, new ideas evolve that could potentially use the technology in better ways. So yeah, I'm seeing another 20 years. And then we have, we do have quantum. And so I like to describe quantum as like, you know, at the moment, computers are like driving a car, whereas a quantum computer is like flying in the air. So, you know, there's gonna be massive um, new things that we're gonna be able to do in that space. And that even the, you know, it's gonna be really hard to understand as well. so I'm glad these podcasts exist because there's going to be a lot of discussion about them.
1: <laughs> well, I think even quantum, uh, this is this literally came out, I don't know, a couple of months ago, Rita, there was a, a expression of interest with transfer for New South Wales for those that are interested in quantum computing. And, um, and so <laughs> the requirements are pretty broad, as you would expect, right? Because yeah. we're talking about uh, technology, that for, particularly for construction, that is not here yet. And then yeah. the question is, well, they what talk are the about
3: benefits? Yeah, it's kind of like when you, you can't afford truffles, you get truffle infused. Well, they have like <laughs> quantum-inspired AI, which yeah. is like... Quantum-ready of quantum so i worked i saw a project that was done at microsoft which was quantum inspired around looking at traffic and trying to to simulate the traffic and then be able to take that understanding and reduce some of the traffic challenges that they were having in seattle so um yeah so it's definitely there's a lot of there's there's a you know there's people thinking about it and there's a lot of quantum inspired thinking going on well i think that
1: would be just being a geek before martin jumps in is that um this thing around quantum time crystals, which was a, a, a freaky uh, kind of conversation, or at least an article. I think Google released it talking about time crystals. Have you heard about that?
3: Not me. So it was, this, it was about.
1: breaking the laws of thermodynamics by basically having a, an energy source that would would not deplete an energy, even if it fluxed in state, which was, which I think is one of the challenges we have around the world, right, is energy. The energy to produce a, a computing uh, environment for everybody right in these big data mm. environments we're going to need for virtual reality ai all of these little bots will need some source of energy right to keep them maintained yeah. and I think we've all read uh, even Elon Musk was talking about the 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 lack of lithium and batteries used for for various uh, electric vehicles that he may or may not be <laughs> manufacturing yeah so so, so there know, is a massive so, issue yeah. there um,
3: the amazing engineering company that I work for, Fraser Ash, they're doing some work at the moment um, for the UK government around um, space-based solar, and it's this amazing concept that's been around from the 60s, but we haven't been able to do it because we haven't don't know enough about space. But the but they're building an economic model around it where you actually do throw into space these huge satellites um, that have got these huge energy collection devices on them, and then they beam the energy back through, through space, space down, down, to, down us, to us in, in an endless, endless. never-ending yeah. source of energy um and so space-based solar could actually be real, real by in the wow. next 20 years um and it, it's super exciting they even had it yeah, on it only it's like, that exciting <laughs> so <laughs> so um yeah so it, it's definitely something that's real and i think as we become guys, like always used to pick on space and i just think why do we care but the kind of Things that we're learning from space are so u- useful, um, and and so, you know, and being able to like move this robotics into space because you know we're not going to be able to build stuff up there. It's going to have to be the robots that build it. Um, so yeah, so I think that that that's super exciting, and I love the way you, you always pick the things Val that are going to be the big challenges, like energy, and um, yeah, and, and 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 I think we're starting to really think about solving them in a lot of ways.
2: Um, My my, my final question was going to be a slight follow-up to to Dale's um, before we started going on about the fascinating art of quantum crystals and and computing. Um, It was talking about um, we have a lot of data on projects as as we've already alluded to a a few times and you you kind of said you think um, it'll be around 20 years before the, the AI takes over. What I was thinking was are we always going to need the experts to decipher the data so maybe not the data analyst but the guys you know the guys in the shorts and socks as you you described them as earlier well
3: they're so, not really experts in data though
2: <laughs> but in, in terms of deciphering so so we had the the cto of a um of a big kind of tech firm who are doing really good stuff in, in the uk project space and he was saying one of the challenges of convincing people to use the technology is because what, what's coming out of the system is right but the data that's being fed into it is not mature enough so you always need that kind of person deciphering it do you think we're ever going to get away from that or can we let the data scientists take over
3: I actually do think that's where the metaverse comes in because like it's that visualization that people need to make decisions and so you know you saw the first thing that's been really successful in AI it's you know you know AI in data you know like the explosion of dashboards and Power BI and the ability to understand it and navigate it. And, then, and now we have this idea that we can look at the web from a more immersive perspective and you know be able to look. Um, so when I talked about digital reality capture, the idea that we can actually go in and, and take 3D photography and overlay it over our digital designs and be able to better understand what's going on with that in construction. But then there's this whole idea that we can... Have the ability to look at 3D objects, um, no matter where we are in a in this metaverse, and and I think this that is going to make a really big difference to the way we're able to visualize data. Um, so when I talk to people about um, mixed reality and call this AI, I to me it is AI because you know it's got the ability to um, bring in spatial anchors and place us in a spatial environment that we haven't been able to to have before and I think that's why sometimes we need to kind of I don't understand this can you explain it to me but I think it is about being able to have a normal person be able to understand what's going on and that's where that visualization comes in. But I love this question, Martin. Thank you very much because it's very dear to my heart being a non-coder and a a non-technical person and also having to work very much with executives. I think, you know, being able to provide executives with a way to visualize what's going on is is going to be the key to be able to, you know, get there faster.
1: Yeah, I agree. I'm just checking with Dale. I think he's frozen again and he's dropped out, but I'm sure he had another question around you know, what does the future look like for transport and projects in particular infrastructure? We talked about um, kind of going back and forth and how Digital Twin was kind of a representation of past, but also being able to predict the future. Um, what are your kind of your, I guess, your bets on the next couple of years in terms of real advances for, 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 for guys in actual projects, you know, real tactical things on the ground that will add value. I think AR was one of the ones we did discuss before we went on air, but what are the real ones that you see kind of adding that benefit immediately?
3: I think it's actually um, really improving the way, um, you know, data is collected and and shared, like really adding that metadata layer to it. Um, Some of the work that I think um, Dale was talking about, he's doing at the moment with HS2, Um, you know, really being able to not have data as an afterthought um, and actually have it as something that helps you manage the rail. And and I think the emergence of these modelling and simulation techniques that we're seeing emerge as part of, you know, the whole, um, you know, model-based systems engineering is actually one of those super exciting areas for me because it means that it can transform a whole industry from paper to this whole 3D modeling world, where we're looking at models versus looking at, you know, flat 2D designs um, and really reduce some of the challenges we have in construction, um, Mm -hmm. but also start to make that infrastructure almost more agile because you're able to understand it better and be able to design it in a way that's a bit more in touch with its use um, so that, you know, you're actually able to, Uh, not just you know the rail takes 20 years to build but by the time it's built you know your needs has changed so much so to be able to make build that flexibility in to to be able to um, uh, create the the changes that you might have across that period of time around the way people use the rail as well Um, so 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 I think that that is is interesting and the the emergence of these you know game engines and the ability to simulate the way Mm. we're going to I think is going to make a big difference as well. Um, so have you done a lot of work in that whole model-based designed area space?
1: Yeah, so I, I have, and, and you say quite rightly, I think these, um, these gaming engines or, or gamification, at least of, of project environments can be useful, uh, at least for visualizations. I haven't seen it practically applied for like scenario-based information, but I do find things like the, the, the AR where you can kind of embed design onto an actual environment and you can be walking out on site and you can see actual things like pipes and buildings and structures, and you can see things like clashes and maybe safety hazards or environmental hazards. I see that being very useful. And we had a great podcast with Will Woodhead late earlier this week or last week, I think it was Martin. And we we're talking about, he was talking about productivity being mounted to a helmet and being able to measure productivity and then incentivize it with bonuses. So there was a payment structure behind his kind of hard hat. Um, yeah, yeah, innovation. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. Uh, and there was also caveats to that, which we we got into the detail, reader. But um, I do find that there is um there is a need, as you said, to kind of cleanse and, and organize the data and get that that first layer, if you like, of that that fundamental of hey, if we're going to store information about projects to date, we haven't done it very well. And one We've of the done things,
3: it in I think- a file system, which you know is yeah. way too old, and we need to look at it from a um, from like like a metadata kind of approach where you can actually like navigate the data that's not not via a a file system, but, you know, from an entity perspective. And so and a lot of those things that have come from data science, which is super important, like, you know, the ability to just look at one object, press on it, and then find out everything about that, Um, which we've, you know, we would need 50 document controllers to do that kind of stuff. And, and, construction lives in this document centric world and we need to kind of disrupt that a little um and and i see that as the most most important thing that needs to happen um at the moment
1: yeah and there's some some interesting things happening like there's a guy um bent flivberg who does a lot of kind of understanding of data and looks at project success and and he's compiling and reviewing a lot of historical project information and my only criticism, because he won't, he won't go on the podcast with us yet, but shout out if he's listening, is that uh, is a lot of that information is not complete, i.e. when we talk about knowledge management and archiving lessons learned, and we talk about project condensation, i.e. all that metadata that's, that comes with it. Like, for example, if you have been presented, reader with project information and you make a decision, was that a good bad decision? Was it a bad decision? Did that decision cause other problems down the road? We don't collect that information. So, so you're left with, a, 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 I guess, assumptions. And I think if you were to then compile those and make decisions on assumptions, we all know what that means, right? When you when you assume something, it makes an ass out of some people. So I think with 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 data, there is a level of danger uh, where we we decide that uh, it's ready for machine learning consumption, and then we make f- factual decisions about it. So there's a kind of a, a limit to that if we don't get the the data together in the right format and we've been talking to a few government agencies reader in australia in particular and i know uk is big on this martin paver and and a few others but talking about the data trust uh piece um Mm. now this is really interesting because it gets down to the point of privacy rules and and uh public opinion around what where is the line on too much collection and you know they were talking about cctv collection and how that was actually collecting facial recognition and they realized actually using the word facial recognition scares people because obviously it's anonymized data, but it, but it does freak people out when they think in a public space, you're collecting my face. What are you doing with that information? Who are you sending it to? Uh, naturally that would be guilty people, but, um, but obviously there is a rule around privacy. What's your view on privacy and technology? Where, where does the line stop?
3: I, I do think that there's, um, an evolution in the whole world of data which is more around this federated data like it's not and you'll see that even in the ways that we've started to see these cyber attacks so when you're collecting data you don't need to collect the facial data you just need to collect like how many people were there um and who was in a wheelchair or who was in a you know like this that kind of you don't and so I think this idea of um, collecting all the data has been a little, and I, I know I jumped on Dale when he talked about that. It's it's about just collecting what you need, and, and I think that that is is super important because, um, and then the, the ability to federate. So I worked on this transport um, project where. Um, They'd had a hackathon and they'd given out a whole lot of transport data, and someone kind of rehydrated it and were with Twitter and they were able to follow people around because it had like one connector that allowed them to kind of re to to under to take the de it the the fact that they kind of de it you know took away all the identificational data of it, but they could bring it back, um, and so. And I think that that is a little, you know, we don't want people to, you know, invade our privacy, but there's new technologies around the way we can federate our data. And so you only like take the stuff that you need, that you don't need all the other bits of it. So, so I think mm. this whole idea of federated data is, is a really exciting model that we need to think about um, and that we need to think. And that's what I'm talking about metadata. And, and, and it's not about CCTV, it's about um, movement, of people, and and that's why when you look at CCTV, it's very raw, it's just basically this video content. But imagine if it was pre-processed and you were actually just sharing, you know, the, the pre-processed stuff, you know, the post-processed stuff, not the actual raw data. Um, so there's a lot of work to be done in that space, I think, around, you yeah. know, uh, exploiting our data and and, and um, feder- only sharing the stuff that they need to share. And that whole data governance world is it's going to be a whole new science. <laughs> oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, it's kind of been, you know, already exploited from from a sci-fi perspective, you know, with, with shows like Black Mirror. And that's probably put people on edge. You know, the plausibility of when things go wrong with technology, it's a great I don't know if you've seen the series, but it's, it's fantastic. Um,
3: Yeah. It's, it's
1: (laughs) a, it's it's so, it's so plausible and it's, you know, kind of almost everyday technology to a degree or maybe five to 20 years and you go, well, that could happen. So I think people are a little bit on edge when it comes to their, their privacy and their own, I guess, ability to decide because sometimes the decision is taken off them when, when governments make those decisions. Uh, And we saw that during the COVID pandemic and obviously that there was a backlash to that, there was resistance to technology, uh but but in in a in a sense of getting over that and being positive it has accelerated i think people's ability to utilize technology to make life better like remote working and flexible ways of working um yeah. and I was going to say as well there is some some value in in the sense of sentiment analysis i know they are using that with cctv so they want to understand you know uh is it men women they want to know sentiment from a a mood perspective are they happy sad angry um because they can also then they're looking at things like um, counterterrorism terrorism measures you know what are the behavioral clues or symptoms before someone commits a terror act in a in a highly dense dense population um, things like you know uh, horrible things that running people over which has happened in London a few times stabbings you know bombs it's um so there's a there's almost a another element of safety that comes with some some submission of privacy uh, or pres- yeah. privacy rights I suppose, but I think yeah. I, I
3: think um yeah you're right and you know, it's, I've actually seen some of these experiments um, at, at Microsoft Research. They had this, this um, amazing structure that was in the middle of the building and they had cameras in all of the cafeterias that would um, identify your emotion. And depending on the emotion, this sculpture would glow a, diff- a particular colour of like, yeah, and, and I thought that was, that was fascinating. But um, we could get all that data from CCTV camera today yeah. if we wanted to um, it's just as i said all of it sitting in video format and no one's analyzing the emotion at all um but i but i do think that 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 it, that would be kind of scary in a lot of ways that you, you could mm. like but um but i do uh, but yeah it's, it's you're fascinating Vale. but i do want to mention this one thing about perception and you know, we don't really perceive the world, we see the world we perceive. And that's, I actually got that from the SETI conference, because there's a lot of engineers thinking about, you know, the way we perceive the world and how we and these situations and how we go about doing, um, you know, different types of simulations as, as we start to think about all this data that we might have. Um, but yeah, these perceptions are, are, are really interesting.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and I think we're going to have to do a round two, Rita, for for going into the into the the, the unknown worlds, the meta worlds. Um, but you know, there is, you know, I think that the starting small, thinking big concept really works for this. Uh, I was at a conference last week about smart cities, and they were looking at potholes and bitumen roads, and they're applying sensors to trucks, like garbage trucks, and based on the scent, the the suspension movement they could suggest that there was maybe some potholes that needed repairing, back to your point around having a digital twin or at least in a digital environment, and then they could go out and actually do scans with, um, with LiDAR or whatever, uh, scan TV on trucks, and see where these potholes are. So they've created a, a kind of a work bank of tasks for council workers to go out there and fix the holes and know exactly yeah. where they are. Without Rather than having to search
3: type stuff exactly i think exactly. yeah and i think that stuff is amazing like i'm doing this um, yeah. inspection thing at the moment where it's like rather than having to know not know where to go you can actually go to the hotspots and, and actually fix them first type stuff so yes there's a lot of a lot of stuff you can do with digital reality capture and then being able to more deeply understand our infrastructure ah it's been a fun morning Perfect. gentlemen thank you thank you no very much
1: We'll hand you back over to Martin for a quick five question pop quiz and then we are done, Rita.
3: Okay, I'm scared, Martin. Bring it on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's he on, on mute. Number oh, one what a
2: classic. rookie, <laughs> rookie mistake. <laughs> Number one. What's your one piece of advice for people new to the engineering profession?
3: Oh, I would say um new to engineering um i would say it's probably one of the most exciting things you're ever going to do and just go on that roller coaster and keep learning so the the lifelong learning revolution is real um and go to meetups and go to hackathons and and just keep keep your brain learning about the new stuff
2: great advice what's the biggest misconception about ai
3: That it's going to take over the world and take over our jobs, and we're not going to have any control. Um, It's definitely invented by mankind, and it's uh, yeah, I think it's definitely one of the biggest misconceptions that it's evil.
0: Are good
2: leaders born or made?
3: I think made. (laughs) Interesting. (laughs) I need to collect the data on this from from all the previous guests.
2: Number four, what would be your book recommendation to our listeners?
3: All right, I've got some books here. I've got some books. Are you ready? So, this sure. is Checkmate, Checkmate um, Humanity. Humanity. The How wow. and Why Responsible AI, written by Dr. Katrina Wallace, who I talked about previously. Um, This is another um, female writer, the Atlas of AI, that talks about, you know, the the past and the future of AI, and tries to map it in terms of, you know, how it's going to um, change our lives. So that's by Kate Crawford, who's actually an Australian that um, has worked for Microsoft Research as well. So two amazing female authors for you. Brilliant. (laughs) Be
2: sure to get them in the show notes. And finally, (laughs) if you had your time again, would you go straight into digital engineering or something completely different?
3: Um, If I had my time again, oh, my God. Um I loved my engineering degree I think it really opened up my world but I probably would probably go and do something a bit more arty crafty first before I do all the hard stuff interesting <laughs> open my open my world to creativity because I think that's that's one of the areas that you know really needs to be awakened
0: Wow amazing Rita Arrigo, thank you so much for spending the best part of an hour with us um, it's been amazing. Again, I loved your passion and your energy that you brought to, the, to this episode. Uh, but before we let you go, any final thoughts you want to leave our listeners with?
3: Um, yeah, uh, let's make infrastructure smart. Let's get into it. Let's, let's think about every time we look at something. Let's think about... How could I do that better? And what kind of what kind of AI or computer vision or natural language processing or GAN can I apply to that? So be curious. I, I think it's really important to, to think about being smarter.
0: I love the be curious, but and if you don't know how, I'll get in touch with Rita.
3: That's right. <laughs> I'm on LinkedIn, I'm on TikTok, I'm on Instagram. Just make friends with me. Absolutely. <laughs>
1: well, any final thoughts? No, only regretting that I started talking about time crystals and that I don't know what I'm talking about. So for anyone who does (laughs) go tell me off, please do. Uh, And we would love to continue the discussion. So reach out to all of us. We would love to hear more.
0: Yeah, I think I broke up when you're speaking about time, Crystal. So thank goodness for that. <laughs> awesome, folks. So there you have it. That is all we have time for on this episode. But remember, before you go, please do help us pay it forward by sharing a link to this episode on your favorite social media. Once again, a massive thank you to our guest today, Rita Rigo. And thank you all for listening. Till next time, we say stay safe, be disruptive, and have fun doing it. From me, Val, and Martin, it's bye for now.
1: Project Shadow supports and is a member of Zero Construct. Zero Construct is a new working group that wants to lower carbon construction. Not everyone will be aware, but construction contributes to around 12 to 15% of total carbon emissions.
0: This is a staggering amount and we need to reduce it. We are a growing community of people that want to help make this change. Everyone is welcome. Whether you're an engineer, contractor or consultant, you just need to want to make a difference.
1: Our aim is to grow a network of experts so we can all learn from each other and make a positive impact in the places where we work. We'll do this by sharing knowledge and making it accessible in engaging ways.
0: To join us and find out more, please visit zeroconstruct.com and register as a member. Thank you, and we look forward to speaking with you soon
1: more information blogs or to support our charities visit projectchatterpodcast.com and if you would like to sponsor the podcast get in touch via our website
0: you can also leave us a voice message via our anchor page and let us know if there's something or someone specific that you would like on the podcast views, thoughts and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the participating individuals and not necessarily to the individual's employer, organisation, committee or other group or individual. Additionally, any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organisation, company or individual.